Welcome to Empty Nesters, a show for empty nesters designed to inspire, motivate, and offer valuable advice to empty nesters. I'm Nancy Tepper, life coach. I'm Felicia Madison, comedian. Today we speak with Nina Lores Collins, author of What Would Virginia Woolf Do? and the website The Wolfer, a sisterhood of literary-minded feminists over 40 who offer each other support, resources, inspiration, and humor. Hi, Nina. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank Hi, you. Nina. Glad to be here. So excited. I just finished reading your book, and I really enjoyed it. I felt like I was sitting down with that friend that just, the one that tells you the truth. Okay, good. That's a good sign. I know, because it was like all these things I was reading. I said to my husband afterwards, oh my God, I'm not alone. Yeah. Well, that's actually, it's funny you say that, because that is the number one thing women who, um, you know, are members of the group who call themselves Wolfers. Um, so, you know, the, the book grew out of a Facebook group that I started like three years ago called What Would Virginia Wolf Do? And um, and now there are like 26,000 plus women all over the country. And when I meet with them, they really, that's the number one thing they say is that the group makes them feel not alone, like not crazy, not alone. So when you started your Facebook page, did you have this moment like I'm going through something and I need people to support me and yeah my I mean it wasn't like hugely dramatic basically what happened is I wasn't sleeping well suddenly and I'd always been a very good no, sleeper I don't know the feeling yeah yep. perimenopausal it's weird now I'm not having that now I'm just having fucking hot flushes all night long but it started and they've done for, that for everyone it's different but I was like 46 and my period was like starting to stagger and I was having a few other symptoms that I wasn't even really aware of and then I suddenly was not sleeping at all like bolt awake at 4 a.m. for weeks on end and I was really confused by it and I googled it and realized that I was going through perimenopause like you know you get this list of like 33 symptoms one of them super funny one of them is impending sense of doom which is like an actual symptom of perimenopause and so I I just thought that was funny and I realized what I was going through and I kind of just wanted to like talk to my girlfriends about stuff and Whenever I brought it up at home, I was married at the time, and a couple of my kids were still at home. You know, you just get totally glazed looks. Like when Mm -hmm. you talk to non-menopausal people about menopause, they just do not want to hear about it. And so, um, and so, yeah. So I started the group really just to talk to my girlfriends, and it wasn't meant to be anything. I mean, when I think back to when I I was in a motel room, I was visiting my son who was a hockey player at a tournament in Minnesota and I was just feeling kind of old and demoralized and like wanted to have a funny conversation basically about chin hair and back fat with my friends <laughs> um, and so I invited like I don't know 20 or 30 of my best friends you know mostly Brooklyn Heights women and then it kind of grew from there it was a very organic unexpected thing that has kind of taken over my life so it's you- funny because they say that um someone told me don't discuss menopause with your husband like he's not and then i remember i saw an article from a professional that said you know you should talk you shouldn't go through this alone you should talk to your husband right so i mentioned it to my husband and he had such a horrified look on his face <laughs> well, that yeah. i was like no to self listen to friends yeah i mean like vaginal dryness is not something men want to hear about and she said she said hair. you know you don't you don't want your husband looking at you like you're in menopause you want him to look at you like you're this young vibrant person i know but that's so annoying also and you want to be able to be real it's tricky i mean i only have hot flashes at night for example i don't have them during the day but i have them kind of all night long and so anyone I'm sleeping with like if I didn't talk about it I mean I have to talk about it right it is what it is yeah so you started with 20 people and then it just took off yeah it basically like in the in the sweet
elitist way in the beginning because it was kind of it was secret and so you had to um, you could only join the group if someone invited you so it was really like a secret club and it grew pretty quickly to like five or six hundred and then um, and then basically like I would go to cocktail parties in Brooklyn Heights and women would kind of whisper about a thread or you know they'd be like oh I'm in the group too and you know it became this kind of addictive funny place for like really smart edgy women but it was it was mostly in our community I guess somewhat in LA you know women who had friends you know by coastal but it just kind of grew in this very um, organic way organic addictive way but did you keep it a secret because you were embarrassed about the topics and you felt no I really didn't know the first thing about right. Facebook groups at the time and I think at the time this was like three and a half years ago Facebook groups were somewhat new like now there are millions of them um, but I didn't really know what I was doing I just like went and like started one and I just picked secret kind of randomly right. and actually then about five or six months into it the group was so good really the conversations were like so interesting and we were all like addicted I was spending all my time on my phone and I decided I wanted to change it to closed because I was thinking like this is so interesting now and there are probably like really cool women in like Tulsa, Oklahoma who would add to this conversation and we don't even know them so maybe we should make it closed and I posted in the group saying I wanted to do that and people got really mad at me and they were like we want it to be our thing we want it to be secret we don't want it to change and I was like well at the time I was the sole moderator and I just felt really strongly that there'd probably be interesting women who should join who we didn't know and so I changed it to closed and um despite the protestations. And um, and so then the idea was, in theory, people could find it. I mean, at the time, no one really knew about it, so it wasn't like that many people were likely to stumble upon it. But that was um, a step in how it grew. And then basically a year into it, because I was spending all my time on my phone, I couldn't really figure out, like, is I didn't think it was a business, but I didn't know how to, like, what what to do with the fact that I was taking up all my time. And I thought about, you know, the subject matter lends itself to a website, you know, for resource. And, you know, my friends who are in the event business said you should start having events. And my friends who were website people were like, you should turn it into a website. But everything seemed um, daunting and expensive. And I wasn't really sure if it was a business. So I decided I ended up, you know, I come from book publishing. I was a literary agent. And the material, um, there was so much interesting material. And I kind of felt like I knew it really well because I was living it. And so I thought, well, why don't I try and write a book proposal and write a book? And then, honestly, I was thinking at the time, like, if I get it so lucky, if I get a book deal, by the time I finish writing the book, the group will have died, will, will have been over. Like, I kind of thought it wouldn't, it couldn't exist beyond, like, 2,000 people. That was kind of the number I had in mind. Like, once it hit that, it just wouldn't be intimate enough. It wouldn't be fun. So I really wrote a book to kind of justify the time I was spending. And mm -hmm. um, and then it just turned out that writing the proposal was really a natural, like, fun experience. Writing the book was really fun. And, of course, the opposite happened. It just kind of kept growing. And so... How long did it take you to write the book? I wrote the book in about six months, weirdly quick. I hired a really good friend who's um, a super talented kind of editor-researcher to kind of... Um, also partly in a kind of cynical... Like, I didn't want it to... Sp I didn't want it to take years because I thought no one, the group won't even exist in a few years. So I should just kind of do this and it'll Optimistic. be Optimistic. Like, I just thought it would be like a discreet part of my life that would somehow be over. What's, what's it the first of its kind? Like when you started it on Facebook, was there another group that existed that were oh, talking about these issues? Oh, I'm sure it was not the first of its kind. I mean, uh, you know, there are lots of websites and Facebook groups dedicated to menopause. You know, some of them are, you know, there's, there are ones that are called things like menopause misery. And, you know, I think the tone of our group is different 
But, you know, then there, there are groups like there's this really funny, huge Facebook group called something like Moms Who Like to Drink a Lot of Wine and Curse. Or Ooh, something like I got to find that group. I, yeah. and, and they're kind of funny and they're not unlike us. And certain, you know, so there are groups that overlap with us. Um, well, your book had a lot of humor in it. I know. I was surprised. Thank you. <laughs> I was really surprised that I wrote such a funny book. I've been working for like years on this really um, li- like hard kind of dark memoir. And it's been really hard to finish. It's still not done. And then that book just ended up being so fun to write. Like I actually can barely remember writing it. It yeah, fun. and it went quickly. Yeah, yeah. I loved. Uh, I loved a lot of the things I wrote. I wrote some notes down, like uh, like uh, the back fat, like where'd the back fat come from? Yeah. I, and it's just like, and it was so like I hate when I tell people, oh my god, I feel so gross and fat, and they're like, oh, you're not. Right. And it's like, but I just feel different. Yeah, of course, and you know, I mean, that's part of the whole idea. Is like. It's really the whole idea behind the whole enterprise is just that we should be able to be honest and tell our stories and say what's really going on because it will make us it'll make us stronger ultimately, right? That right. we shouldn't be ashamed and, um, you know, because there is just like you're talking about, you don't want to tell your husband about these things, and I get it, and you may not want to share every like thing you're feeling with your romantic partner, but on the other hand, like. You shouldn't be ashamed of getting older, right. for Christ's sake. Like, he's getting older. You know, I think you have to la- learn how to laugh at yourself. And like, you have to learn how to laugh at yourself. That's and right. we're all changing. You know, we're all getting older. That's right. And that's and life. And being able to laugh at yourself is a huge part of the group. And actually, even now, like now the group's, like, you know, going on 27,000 people. When new people join, sometimes we have to, like, remind people the core principles of it. And one of them really is being able to laugh at yourself. And if you can't take, you know, if you're going to take yourself too seriously. This is this is turning into place. a therapy session for Felicia Madison, how Good. to accept myself. Accept yourself, yeah, that's like, right. So you, so you had this group, and then you decided website, and well, so, tell and us then, a little bit about that. I mean, so then kind of what happened really was, I mean, again, it was just really organic. Like, we started having events because it seemed fun. So we, we had, for a little while, we had this, like, literary series because there are a lot of writers. In the beginning, the first, like, 2,000 women in the group um, I would say like 70% of them were writers. So there was, there was a lot of writers. Um, we did like a our first outing, I think, was to Babeland in Soho because we also talk a lot about sex. So we did this kind of fun um, outing to Babeland. So we started having events. And then we started writing a newsletter because it seemed like there was so much information in the group that it would be really fun to kind of um, in, you know, encapsulate like the most interesting conversations of the week. So... And then the website really we the website was created for the book publication. It was just you know because if you publish a book you have to have a website. But at that point when the book came out in uh, April of 2018, I guess we had like 18 we had 8,000 members, and then and then there was a New York Times piece, and so then it like tripled. And at that point I was like, okay, this has to become a business of some sort. And so we decided to turn the website into like a real website, into like a lifestyle website. So that's what we're working and on it, now. And it has such a great name. The Wolfer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so that was interesting. So at one point, we were trying to figure out how to make this sustainable. And um, there was a guy who was kind of interested in investing in us. And we decided he wasn't a good fit. So this guy said, you can't call it what would Virginia Woolf do. And of course, he was right. I mean, again, I didn't I didn't give it that name thinking it was a business. And he said, what about the Wolfer? And another kind of just funny, organic thing was that women started calling themselves Wolfers. That was not something directed by me or any of our moderators. It was like this weird 
you know, people would call themselves Wolverine. There were funny names, but they ended up mm. really attaching to this idea of being wolfers. So that seemed like a good name for the website. Although it's a little bit one of our problems because we also have a podcast called Raging Gracefully, which we think is super funny. But so we have a lot of names. We're what would Virginia Wolf do? We're the wolfer. We're Raging Gracefully. You bring up an interesting point about how it's so difficult as women when we're pitching ideas, we're pitching mainly a lot of times to men who don't identify with our issues and our problems. Yeah. And I think it's one of the, I mean, I think it's one of the ideas behind the group in general, right, is that we're not catered to by the culture very much, right? We're not like fashion issues and beauty issues. I mean, you know, people want to sell to millennials. And I've actually learned more about that just trying to figure this out as a business because I'm like, well, why wouldn't they sell to us? We have all this money. We run our households. Like we're capable and successful and blah, blah, blah. But it, I think it's just that whole idea. I mean, I'm not, I come from a literary background, not a marketing background. And I guess people want to capture young people because then you have them their whole lives, right? That's what they say. Story of my life, problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you used to be young, Felicia. Yes. Yeah. We were at a point in time. But I find that in my business, you know, a lot of people, are, they're looking for the younger people that yeah. are going to be like the next Amy Schumer. They're not looking for the next, you know, Lucille Ball. Yeah. No, that's totally you right. Know, it's like, uh, it's hard. And, and I, I felt a little bit of that, you dealt with that a little bit in your book about, you know, how as women of this age, how you deal with regret. And like even you, like giving up yeah. your career to have children. Yeah, that was actually, I, mean, I didn't really give it up to have children, but that was actually one of the people asked me in the book, like, was there a hard part of the book to write? And it wasn't really hard, but it was interesting, that section. So there's a, the book is organized in kind of obvious chapters. There's beauty, sex, you know, health, body, relationships. Um, and the work chapter, I, in the way the book is structured is each chapter begins with kind of an anecdote from my own life. And then I kind of launch into stories from friends and professionals and wolfer voices. Um, so in the work chapter, when I was telling the story of my own career, I had to really think about this issue of regret and like did I have because I had two different businesses one in my 20s and one in my 30s both of which I shut down they were both successful businesses that I closed in order to um in the first instance, kind of take a break and rethink about what I wanted to do in publishing and then in the second instance in my 30s was because I got divorced and really decided I wasn't engaged enough and I wanted to just stop and re recalibrate entirely and um and yeah, that issue of regret is part of aging. Like, do I regret that I left the publishing business? You know, in some ways, I do think about when I'm like advising younger people, um, you know, had I stayed in publishing, I would now have like this big lifelong career in publishing and my life would look, it would just be different. Right. It's interesting, I think. the uh, One of the ideas in the group, I think, is just to be honest about that stuff. Like, a lot of times people want to, you know like be really inspirational as an older woman. And I just feel like that's it's a little bit of a burden to add. I mean, right. there are things that we can be inspirational about, but life is also sad. Getting older is complicated. There's nostalgia involved. It's not all, you know. All good. Yeah, it's not all good. That would be bullshit. But I also think that it is a great new stage of life to be in when you're absolutely you know, hitting... N 50, it's like we have a lot of... I mean, absolutely. Like, I'm super... I mean, you're, you guys are an empty nest podcast. Like, I am a, I mean, a little bit young for an empty nester, so I have four kids who are all gone, and I love this period. Like, I spent 20... 
four years raising kids and um, the amount You're young enough to start over, by the way. You can have another kid. <laughs> Not having another kid, for sure. But the amount of freedom I have now is amazing. And and I talk in the book, like in the sex chapter, for example. I mean, one of the myths about women our age, right, is that we're not interested in sex or we're not having enough. I mean, the women you see from the group, women are having plenty of sex and for the most part, much better sex than they've ever had in their entire lives. So yeah, there are a lot of good things about getting older, for sure. And we're not that old. Yeah, I mean, obviously. And one of the interesting things in the group is we have women, we just discovered we have like an 86-year-old woman in the group, which is so awesome, and we want older women. So even even now, when I read my book, like, I don't feel the same way. I wrote that book almost three years ago. Like, you know, the experience of a 46-year-old and of a 52-year-old and of a 58-year-old, they're different, right? And so we really can learn from each other along the spectrum. So that's not a statement you hear very often. We want older women. I know, and we do. We love <laughs> the older women. so nice group. to hear, right? Uh, yeah, no, their point of view is so helpful and interesting. And I mean, because the other thing that does sound a little Pollyanna-ish, but is certainly true, is I think one of the things we've learned in the group is that um, – you know, how much wisdom we have, like how much we know and how much we have to offer. And that's been super, for lack of a better word, empowering, I think, for everyone, for me, for the members. Um, I think we see from each other all the time how, like, awesome we are. Well, I always discuss with with my friends now, and we're all in our 50s mm-hmm. and having our kids leave our homes. And we always just talk about the power of friendship and how we are so grateful to have each other in our lives. And you're yeah. building an online community for for women who are basically relating to each other on this category. Absolutely. And they've made so many friends in real life. Like we have, so we have a main Facebook group, but then we have like 35 other subgroups, right? So we've got regional groups and subject groups. So these women have really, I mean, tons of women have made friendships with each other and traveled together. It's awesome. Like our, we have a Twin Cities Wolfer group that's really active and the Bay Area group. And yeah, that's been you know, really meaningful. I mean, when I when I think about because I do struggle, like I kind of created this thing um, unwittingly, and if it have been kind of carried along, it, I mean, it's been an amazing experience. But it is really time consuming, and at this point, expensive, and it's I don't really know where it's going. But the um, you know the value to women and to myself has been enormous. So, what's the funniest thing that you came across on this whole adventure? Oh, my God. There have been so many funny threads and posts. The women are super hilarious. Like, I regret now. I, I always wish I had more time. Like, my, my boyfriend always knows when I'm wolfing, we call it, because I'm just always laughing. Like, I'm looking at my phone and smiling. Um, I don't know if I could think of the funniest moment in the group. God, that'd be hard. Uh, there have been a lot of really poignant moments, like, where women have helped each other, like, there was this one, this uh, gastroenterologist in Colorado posted kind of frantically one day because her son was in Israel and he was sick. And, mm. um, you know, he was like a young 20-something studying in Israel. And I can't remember exactly what she was looking for help-wise when she posted, but within like a couple of hours, Israeli wolfers were at the hospital in Israel wow. helping her son. Yeah, I which wanted was to ask you about that. Phenomenal. I, I saw that you're international which yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's not big, and we don't focus on it very much. Um, we probably should, because I'm sure there are you know tons of. There have been bits of press, so like there'll be an article in a Finnish newspaper, and we'll get like 200 Finnish women. So, and that happened in Poland, and but yeah, we're everywhere. We have an Australia group. We don't have a Japanese group. People, a couple people have asked for one, but anyway. So we have Wolf for Europe, Wolf for London, Wolf for Australia, New Zealand. 
I don't think we have an Israel group yet, but we should because we actually have a lot of Israeli wolfers. How, how do the groups get started in these countries? We start them. So start like them. people will ask, like people are always asking for different subgroups and we don't always do it right away for various reasons. They're work to administer. Um and then some because we don't want them kind of philosophically. Like a, the, it's been a recurring theme that women have wanted a um, like childless by choice wolfer group, which we really don't want because we don't want to segregate those women. We want their stories to be part of. Um, you know, the group started out. It was never meant to be a mommy group, and we really kind of discouraged too much kind of parenting postings. Um, we finally recently started a subgroup called Wolfer Parenting because we just kept getting so many of those requests. Um, so yeah, we kind of decide. Another one people want right now is a caregivers group, which I think we will start. Yeah, soon, that's because that's a big subject. Well, it's we're, just, we we're, like the we like having all these conversations in the main group. It's just that as the main group gets bigger, some like the first subgroup we ever started was Wolfer Travel. Because in the beginning, when the group was really small, you could post and be like, I'm going to Paris this weekend. Where should I stay? But now that would just clog up the feed. Like, you can't have. I like what you called it. You didn't call it the sandwich generation. What did you call us in the book? It was something else. Oh, God. I don't remember. Or we were like a bologna. I always say we're a bologna sandwich. Or someone once also said we're like a panini. I can't uh, remember that. I can't remember. I'd have to look. I really don't remember. It was, I, ooh, I remember it being like really interesting. But yeah, we are. We're being pulled and torn and. Um, yeah, it's very hard. I have to say, my mother is dead, and I um, don't have a relationship with my father. And I feel like, as sad as that is, it's easier. I mean, to be dealing with aging parents and like kids going off to college and all that at the same time, it would be very hard. It was very hard. I think the most depressing thing I read in your book, though, was about alcohol. Yeah, the alcohol thing sucks. And I have to say, and we just did a podcast on alcohol, and it was totally depressing. And I still drink regularly. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, alcohol is not good for us. And I think it's part of the reason I have so many hot flashes. Actually, I'm sure it is. Yeah, it you know, does cause a lot If I didn't drink at all, I probably would have fewer hot flashes at night. It will pass. Um, it'll pass eventually. It Although, pass. I actually this morning woke up thinking about posting in the group and asking specifically the much older women because I've heard that they don't pass. Like, I haven't had a period in like a year and a half. Why am I still having hot flashes? Well, you can have it for a very long time, but you, you should go on the menopause patch. I don't want. I don't want to. My mom died of breast cancer. Oh, and I know a lot of people think it's still safe, and I'm. I hope it is, but it just makes me uncomfortable taking hormones. Well, from what I read about uh, the menopause patches, the surveys that say it has an effect on breast cancer is that they gave it to women that had already been through menopause, like ten years after. So yeah. That, and if you monitor it, you're fine. But I understand. But it, I am on the menopause patch, yeah. and it it makes a difference. No, people love it. Absolutely. I'm actually. I feel pretty good besides my hot flashes i don't really feel like i'm i mean i'm and you know the extra five or ten pounds that are is hard to lose i don't feel like i'm suffering that much so yeah the 10 pounds but it's a it's a very individual choice and i really feel like it's all good i mean that's another really big idea in the group is like you should be able to talk about your fears concern i mean it's all fine you know some people like i don't know there are a million things that i don't do but other people do and it's completely fine with me you know, the idea is I think it's a shame you know something else I thought about as reading your book is like when men go through their midlife crisis which is what we're going through yeah they get a new car they get a new wife you know what do we do we need something that like women do maybe yeah Wolfer should have like the you know well, midlife trip that we all take yeah I mean yeah, I don't know some of us get Botox <laughs> I don't know oh well that's great well <laughs> they get a car we get Botox that's fun I feel like the, the men getting a new car and getting a new wife is a little bit of a myth i mean we do all that too we online date we get new lovers we i mean you know we nancy 
Listen, I, I think we have to embrace this stage. You could buy a new car, Felicia. You Absolutely. Can do you could totally get a new car. Just or like, a new husband. Or a new husband. Exactly. There's no, I don't think men have it. I mean, the only way I guess men have it better is, I, I mean, I think no one cares as much what they look like as they age. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't. Especially if they have a big wallet. Especially if they have a big wallet. Yeah, like how many men are getting their hair dyed, Botox? I mean, I did, um, what's that stuff where you freeze your fat? Like, what's Cool sculpt? Cool sculpting. I mean, like, what man does that, really? No, I agree. And it's also crazy time consuming. I mean, that is just really an insult to feminism and expensive. And to top it off, we get paid less than them. Yeah, no, it, that is really fucked up. I agree with you. Like tonight, I'm meeting my boyfriend for dinner, and I told him I have to go get my legs waxed after this, and that's just like a forty-five minute, whatever it costs, like thing that he doesn't have to do. That yeah, it's time it's to annoying. Do. It's annoying. It's a, why is that? Why? And they don't look so good. Well, I always think with men, it's weird. I mean, they do look pretty good. Like, I don't understand how men, like, why are we, like, I'm addicted to getting my nails done. And men have perfectly fine looking nails. Like, we should look, his nails are probably fine. And they don't get manicures. Like, I don't, I don't know. Well, he gets to cover his wrinkles with his beard. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just what we expect and what society, you're like used to seeing the woman with her nails and the man without. So I I do agree it's not fair. But actually, as a whole, I think 50-year-old women are looking way better than they did back in the day. Oh, they look amazing. For sure. And and 50 is not 50 anymore. No. I know that I feel young and vibrant and that... I can do whatever I want to do, and I'm, yeah. I'm feel very fortunate that I still have my health and that my body's still working. I completely, one hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, I, we have our spanks and our. Uh, I'm very <laughs> anti spanks, but yes, I, I know, and so am I. I could have to tell you that I keep trying to like them. They're not going to be a sponsor of ours anytime soon. No, they are really but, an insult to. Okay, but I can't begin to tell you how many, and this is embarrassing, I've left in bathrooms. Yeah, because you take them off because they're so uncomfortable. They're like strangling me. I know, I can't remember. I think I wrote this in my book, but I'm not sure. But I, I had, I was... I had a second marriage a few years ago, which is now over, but I was prepared to wear Spanx for the ceremony, and I had it on under my dress, and I took it off before. The, it was just too uncomfortable. Like, who Terrible. wants to walk around in these Who things? wears those yeah. things? I, I, I mean, keep thinking obviously I'm doing a lot it of wrong. women wear them. Right, but. I know. So what do you think the number one problem is going to be facing women of our generation going through this phase, unlike other generations? Like, you know, comparing ourselves to, obviously, we're not in the situation that Virginia Woolf was in, thank God, we'd all be having rocks in our our dresses and going well, into the world. she also suffered from mental illness. Yes. So. Um, but we all do, by the way. A lot of us do, absolutely. That's another thing we talk about a lot in the group is the prevalence of depression and anxiety and serious depression and anxiety. I don't know, the number one problem... Uh, I mean, this kind of goes in another tangent, but we had an event last week at The Wing, you know, the women's Mm -hmm. club, and we had this event called The Wolfer at The Wing, where we had four doctors on a panel, just talking about the title of the panel was um, What Happens to Your Body and Mind After 40. And it was a great conversation about all sorts of things, cool sculpting and, you know, thyroids, all sorts of stuff. Um, But one of the things that came up in the audience was the, like, the shittiness of um, access to healthcare in general. So I don't know, for some reason, when you said, what are our problems? I mean, good healthcare is a problem in America, period. And around menopause, there's so much that we're not told about by our doctors. And it was one of the reasons I started the group. I mean, I have a great internist I love, and she's actually my age, and she didn't prepare me for any of this. No one talks to you about 
vaginal dryness or hot flashes, and they often like try and put you on the pill. And you know, you're not given. Uh, you really have to go to a hormone specialist to really get a thorough like these are all the things I can do and this is what I should expect. And um, your average general practitioner is not going to be able to help you. And I'm one of the lucky ones, right? I have health, I have health insurance and I live in New York city and I have access to a lot of doctors. And um, so I think for a lot of women, that's a huge problem. Does insurance cover that? Was that considered like a coverable thing? I mean, if you're my doctor, Dr. Laura Corio, who I love, who, wrote an early book on menopause and hormones and is really fabulous does not take insurance so if you're lucky enough to find a doctor who's a specialist who does you know god bless but it's hard yeah so can we go back a little bit to to the website yeah um so how how did you come up with this name are you a virginia wolf It was really just a dark, funny joke. So at the time, I was finishing a graduate degree in something called narrative medicine at Columbia, and I was reading a lot of Virginia Woolf. And, you know, I went to Barnard, I went to a women's college, and I had read A Room of One's Own in college and have always admired her. Um, But she, and she's a, you know, feminist literary writer who committed suicide in her late 50s. And it was really just a dark joke. Like, I was talking to my girlfriends about, aging and it was like should we just kill ourselves i feel bad sometimes now i mean the title it's like a spoof on her basically it's totally a dark joke about virginia wolf basically all my friends are kind of smart funny feminists and big readers and we all admire virginia wolf and she killed herself and the joke was like as i'm getting older should i just throw in the towel it's actually funny Um, it's not meant to be making light of suicide of course and I feel not. bad about that but it was just funny and I still think it's funny actually it still makes me laugh so I guess that's good right. yeah and then she probably well whatever <laughs> <laughs> I think that she people have asked me what she would think about it and I think at the very least this idea of women um, really exploring their inner lives in a really honest way she would totally appreciate she was you know her writing I don't know how much you've read of her but it's all very um interior and very much about women's lives. I wonder wonder if she was alive today, if she'd be as depressed as she was back then. You know, that's a good, I think I wrote about this in my book. My mother was an artist and writer who was, who definitely struggled from depression. And it was before Prozac and, you know, all the medications we have today. And I often wonder what my childhood would have been like if she had been medicated. So yeah, who knows what Virginia life's like. My kids wonder the same thing about me. (laughs) (laughs) So if Virginia Woolf was a wolfer, yeah, she'd probably that'd be awesome. Be, be very happy. To, <laughs> the ultimate wolfer. The, the, the ultimate wolfer. She would. She would be the oldest wolfer around. Actually, yes. <laughs> um, so I guess what we, you know, what the purpose of this podcast is, is to help women like us mm-hmm. in their forties and fifties becoming empty nesters, to give them inspiration, to help them you know, reinvent themselves or Mm -hmm. think of a good idea. So you came up with this idea and you kind of, during the course of this uh, conversation, discussed like, well, I don't know if this is a good idea. Should I do it? Where am I going to take this? What advice would you give to someone that has an idea that's not sure like what they should do and what gave you the impetus to actually go through with it? I mean, I think, so I've always been an entrepreneur, right? I've had these these two companies when I was younger. I started this kind of accidentally, um, but it has certainly reignited my kind of entrepreneurial instincts. And I think um, even more than the two companies I did when I was younger, this has been so 
authentic and from the heart that it's been impossible to walk away from. And I think if you're lucky enough to have an experience like that where something feels, you know, because people are always telling you, follow your passion and you can reinvent yourself. And that's another thing I tackle in my book. Like, that's a little bit, it's a lot of pressure and a little bit of a myth. It's not that Mm -hmm. easy to find your passion always or to just decide you're going to go on a new path. It's really difficult. It takes money and freedom. and, And often people don't really have a passion that maybe, you know, so obviously lends itself to becoming a business. So I think that um, it's not easy. Although I have to say this is this has been such a good experience for me. And it's, um, and it's brought together all these different strands of my life. Like I come from book publishing. And um, I have always been really interested in women's lives and women's health. And then I got this master's in narrative medicine. So it's been a really cool thing to see all these strands of my life come together in this group. Um, And that's why I'm sticking with it and working so hard trying to figure out how to make it sustainable. Um, So I guess my advice would be be authentic. Listen to, you know, really what excites you. Um, Don't be afraid, which of course is super hard. But, you know, so many of us are um, limited by fear. And, you know, there's not that you know you when I did my I also got a life coaching certificate when I was doing this master's at Columbia and you know one of the questions I remember from some part of that training is you know ask yourself what's the worst that can happen so much of the things we're afraid of are not the things that happen anyway and uh uh you know so kind of go with you know be brave Mm -hmm. yeah they say people say do what you love the money will follow so I'm doing what I love waiting for that money to follow yeah and I'm kind of having the same thing like I keep telling myself I mean every six months or three months with this project it's looked different and we've made a lot of progress and I kind of keep saying like you'll know if it's time to to pivot do something else or I kind of have faith that it's evolving in the right direction and, and, and I think that's really valuable advice for us in our empty ne- nesting stage and also for our children who are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives like absolutely. when you say to your kids well what do you love what's your passion and some of them just don't know that's right they so really don't know it's a lot of pressure on them to figure it out And the same for us when we're trying to find our next steps in life. So much so. And I should say that, like, actually, when I started the group, I was 46. And I was in a graduate program, but it was kind of not very practical in terms of a career. And my kids, I think two or three of the four had already left. And I definitely had this period between when I sold my literary agency when I was 38 and when I started this group at 46. Those years were very, I felt very lost professionally and really had no idea if I'd work again and what it would look like and whether I'd ever be successful again. And so it was part of, it contributed to me starting the group. Like I felt like, am I washed up? Is it Am I over? You know, should I just kill myself? I I wasn't actually (laughs) suicidal, but there was that feeling of like, what's next for me? And then, and now, like, it's so surprising. Now I'm doing this thing, you know, life is surprising. They say that the average woman has seven careers. Yeah, I've told my kids that. I think when we were applying to colleges with my twins somewhere, I think at Wesleyan, someone said that the average college student now will have, I don't know, some, 25. some huge number of careers. Right. Millennials are known to move along quickly in their jobs yeah. these days. So. But and it's important. And actually another, I don't know if this is advice, but it is something I think about a lot in the group is um, – resilience as a character trait and how important it is and And not a role modeling for them as well and role modeling it yeah i mean resilience is tricky because some people just aren't naturally resilient and um resilience is definitely something that helps right life is hard life is hard i just i just actually took a 
course in resilience. Oh, and really? It's really interesting, but you know, they really the whole premise of it is is that you have to learn how to bounce back when life does not go your way. Yeah. No, we, they don't all have those skills. It's so. right. It's one of the things I'm thinking about in the group all the time now. And actually, I feel really good about it. Like we are trying to monetize it at the very least to make it sustainable. And so we're trying a lot of things and they're not all going to work. And it's right. fine. Like we'll try something. And if it doesn't work, we'll pull back and we'll try something else. What's and being, the worst that could happen? What's the worst that can happen? And being comfortable with that and being able to be transparent about it, I think is huge. Right. So you're an empty nest and you transitioned. What was the hardest thing or how did you feel about becoming an empty nester? Um, I mean, I think the hardest part, and I'm sure you'll both relate to this, is like seeing your quasi-adult kids out in the world, kind of with all the uncertainty that they're experiencing and dealing with your own kind of fear and uncertainty about, you know, will so-and-so be okay? And are they going to figure it out? And watching them make mistakes or make decisions. Um, I have one child who's not totally ready um, to go to college and, you know, that's letting them be their own people Mm -hmm. um, is wonderful and also sometimes hard. Uh, Other than that, it's more expensive than I thought these early years of the empty nest. Like I kind of thought, you know, they'll leave (laughs) and once you finish college, you're done, but that is so not the case. So they have their hands out all the time. No, I mean, my kids are actually super independent and they're all like working and very functional, but graduate you know life is expensive and applying to graduate school and taking you know prep courses and there's always there are always rent things that come up i mean you you must know this right it's just an an, an, unreimbursed medical expenses like they're they're not adults yet so they're still children in certain ways and um and it's a problem also now that we're living longer we need more money we can have after you retire now there could be another 20 or 30 years. Absolutely. Yeah, no. So I guess th- those are the probably the two, I mean, not really surprises, but the two things. I mean, I love, I do love this phase. Like I wrote in my book about how I really loved small children. I love babies. And, um, and I found adolescence super difficult. And then once my kids turned 18, it's been much easier and much more fun for me. And, you know, I love how, you know, they start to appreciate you, which my kids did not appreciate me when I was when they were 16. <laughs> right. um, but now they're, you know, you start to develop friendships. Like I just came back from a week in Spain with my daughter, Ella, who's studying there, and it was really fun. So um, yeah, I said it shouldn't be terrible twos. It should be terrible till twenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and some people love the teenage years. I mean, we're all different. But for yeah. me, those years, I had like three in a row that were super close in age, and it was it was hard. My mantra during the teenage years was, "This is normal." Yeah. Well, my therapist used to say to me, "She's not supposed to be nice to you. She's not supposed to be nice to you." I was like, "Okay." Or, or, they're, or they're just trying to separate. Okay. They can't like you that much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any regrets? Um, you know, I once wrote a piece that's floating around on the internet somewhere about how I don't have any regrets. And I wrote that probably eight or nine years ago. Um, I mean, I have, you know, I think one of the things we talk about in the group is that divorce is, we we talk a fair amount about divorce and the father of my four kids and I got divorced. And um, it's sad. I mean, I don't, I can't say I regret it. I think in a lot of ways, you know, whatever. It was you used to have right, been 10 when you got married. It was the right thing. I was 20 when I met him, 23 when I got married. Wow. Um, but, you know, I, and I have regrets about certain things I did as a parent. I wish I had done it better. I was really young when I became a parent. Um, and I think, you know, had I done it later, I probably would have been better in certain ways. But yeah. so, yeah, do I have some regrets? 
Sure. So, Nina, you look amazing. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank what, what's you. What's your secret sauce? Oh, God. Mm. I do not have a secret sauce, and I don't look that amazing. Um, don't typical woman. <laughs> don't believe her. Uh, I used to exercise a lot more. I've not been exercising that much the last year. Your fingers on really the phone. Busy. Yeah. I'm yeah. just, I'm, it's, I mean, it's been very invigorating to be this busy again, but um, I'm not exercising as much as I should. Um, and I, you know, I drink not too much, I don't think, but regularly, and I should drink less because it would be better for me. Um, but the French drink. The French drink. Right. Yeah. They seem very. My late, my beauty secret right now that I've been into is, yeah. I, you know, like a lot of us, I go to dermatologists and I do the occasional this and that, and I buy all sorts of products that I'm sure are a complete waste of money. I'm really convinced that all beauty products are a waste of money. And I um, I recently bought rosehip oil from Amazon. It's like 20 mm, bucks. It's just right. pure rosehip oil. And now all I'm doing is wiping my face with micellar water, which is like five bucks, yeah. and then just slathering my face in rosehip oil. And I swear it's been fabulous. And I have not thrown away all my ridiculous products. I should use Retin-A more than I do, but... I yeah, you wrote that. That's Well, really the problem is Retin-A, I think, is the one thing that really does work. It's but then true. you can't get um, waxed. Your skin gets really thin. And if you get an eyebrow wax or a, ch- a chin wax, it, like, burns your face. Yeah, it basically peels your face off. It basically peels your face off. So I should use more Retin-A, but I don't. But other than that, I really don't have any secrets. I love my leather pants. Okay. We talk about them a lot. They do the look really they make good. Me feel good. And that will make you sweat, though. That won't be yeah, good during well, a hot sleep flash. Them, let me tell you. <laughs> you don't get your hot flash? during the day I don't get them at all during the day really? it's amazing wow. yeah it's amazing so far huh. god I'm like cursing myself I should knock on wood I know that would suck yeah I had a friend that walked around with like a fan attached to her phone oh yeah talk about humiliating yeah <laughs> it's like, bad it's bad um so we always end our uh, podcast with uh, asking you some questions about um we call them MT or modern tips so what has been your uh, favorite travel destination or where is that travel destination that you haven't quite gotten to that you want to go to okay japan i think i went to japan a couple years ago and i really loved it and i'm dying to go back uh, That's the one trip I want to do. I just loved it. I love the culture and I love the weird, like, the kind of kookiness of modern Japan and then the tradition. And I'm also kind of, I also really like German, Germany. I speak um, German somewhat. And um, so I think I like the kind of um, the orderliness of those cultures. But I really like Japan. You know, it's interesting. You said you didn't have a group over there. Like, was it in Japan, China and Japan? No. We, Where was it? You said you didn't have a group? Japan. Japan. We had a few people yeah. ask us, but I don't think we have enough Japanese wolfers. I wonder if they just have a different approach to aging and they don't find it necessary. Well, and possibly also to candor. When, when I was a literary scout in my 20s, I didn't have a Japanese client. And I had like clients in all these countries, like 16 countries. And I often thought maybe I'm not getting a Japanese client because my personality just isn't a good fit with mm-hmm. Japanese culture. Um, so I wonder if the way we're so candid in the group. I, I don't know. Maybe they're too polite to complain about maybe. things that are happening. Maybe. I really don't know. I don't know. So what's your favorite mantra? Uh, I have a couple. One is kind of silly. One is why do you later what you can do now? Like I'm super kind of efficient and organized and don't like to waste time. Um, I'm not much of a procrastinator. And so that's kind of a functional one. And then I guess the other one is that quote that often gets attributed to Plato, although I've heard Plato, it's not actually Plato, but something about... Um, I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> it's something about how everyone is suffering. Every, what is the quote? Um 
you know, the idea is be good, be nice to everyone because everyone has a story, a painful story behind the facade. And I just think that that's so true. Um, like I'm not someone who um, really experiences a lot of like envy. I feel like everyone's life is complicated and messy. And it's, you know, I mean, certainly there are people who have an easier time, no yeah. doubt. But um, in our family, we say everyone has sores. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a, totally the same. That's the, the same Jewish idea. proverb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or nobody gets a free pass. No so. one gets a free pass. And, um, you know, one of our sayings in the group is assume goodness. And I came up with it, but it wasn't like any big, like, it was just that idea of like, let's just all assume we're on the same page here and we're trying to learn from each other and support each other. And, you know, because sometimes the internet, um, encourages people to be kind of snippy and stupid and we do not allow that in the group like we love disagreement and we love people taking firm opinions but the idea is that um you know that we're all trying to well they say they say that helping other people doing good deeds is the number one way to get happiness yeah you're doing that it's true they do say that yeah no thank you for saying that i think um we're trying. Yeah, yeah, I think it really is. It You see the goodness in the group, and even just in very practical ways, the way women are helping each other. Um, you know, I need an endocrinologist in Tampa, and then someone will say, I have a great person. You know, there's just real support there. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much thank for joining us. Thank you this is, It's like, again, just like Wolfer. Right. It was like sitting down with a friend. Right. and Well, that is a real thing about it. When you meet Wolfers in real life, like you almost always – totally connect it's really funny i don't know if it's partly because we have i'm a, a wolfer now yeah no so, and you yeah. you meet women and like i mean i meet women now all the time like i'm going to portland next week and i have like dinners my boyfriend was like you're having dinner every night with strangers and i'm like yeah but yeah. it'll be great like i, I do it wolfers. all the time we're wolfers, we're wolfers. We, need, we need to have a tattoo right. that you get <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. Secret handshake. yeah a secret tattoo that we all get like on our, our expanding butts yeah. um <laughs> well thank you for having me this was super fun thank you thank you and guys if you like this show please make sure to rate us and review us any questions email us at emptynesterspodcast at gmail.com I'm Felicia and I'm Nancy and we're Empty Empty Nesters. Nesters